Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. This past week, I was actually just reflecting on what an incredible thing it is to partner with the Holy Spirit. I text Tracy, who you met earlier this week, earlier this service, I text her earlier this week. Sometimes it's too easy when you're working with the Holy Spirit. I won't take you through all of the details, but every week that our staff meets, we share stories of what God's doing in the midst of us. We share all of the ways that he's transforming this incredible community, all of the places that he's reaching. And this last week we sat down and some of the stories that we shared, we just had to look and say, the Holy Spirit makes it too easy sometimes. When one person meets somebody that another person had been praying about seeing connected and somebody meets somebody and misses their contact information, but another person got it and said, hey, I felt like you were supposed to connect with this person. And when a family member says, I've been praying for this person in my family and I haven't been able to get through, but another member encounters that person and because they weren't their family member, they were open to receiving prayer from that person. When you work with the Holy Spirit, sometimes it's just too easy. He just lines it up for you. I wanna encourage you in everything you do, don't do it out of your own strength or your own power. Do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen, church? That's awesome. That's not what we're here to talk about today, but I think it's a good thing to be reminded of. I think it's a good thing to be encouraged of. How many of you have kids going back to school this week or that have gone back or that, yes, You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. All jokes aside about it, I want you to know that our team has been praying for you. It's a huge transition to step back into school, to step into school for the first time, to be changing buildings or locations or all of the different things that go into that. And teachers and administrators, you have another year of an incredible task and unprecedented decisions ahead of you, so we are praying for you, we are lifting you up, you play an incredible role in our community, and we're so grateful for you. Amen, amen, awesome. God, I just wanna ask for this message. I know that we've already prayed to you, we've already lifted up your name, I know that you're already here, but I just wanna submit this word before you, God. I believe you've given me something to say, so give us hearts that are open to it. Let it take root in our life, God, let it change us. Let let it form us for the days to come and let it make a difference in our community, in our city, and in our families. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you wanna turn to the book of John, I think I have a clear assignment for today. I don't think that it's gonna take us very long, but that kinda depends a little bit on me and a little bit on you, and let's see where we end up today. I wanna look at what is, to many of you, a very familiar portion of scripture. You can turn to the book of John chapter four. To some of you, it might be an entirely new story, an entirely new passage of scripture. And if that's so, I wanna encourage you. I think this is such a key portion of scripture, a key thing that John reveals to us that tells us so much about who Jesus is and why he came and the ministry that he came to bring to us. In John chapter 4, John tells us about Jesus and this unlikely woman that he meets next to a well. So we're going to dig into the story a little bit today and we're going to talk about what 
what John is revealing to us about Jesus and his ministry through this story. And then I believe there's somewhere very specific that God wants to take us today, church. I don't know how much you know about water. You probably know that it's fairly important. You probably know that it's required for all living life forms. There is no living organism that can exist without water, without some kind of water source in its life. Nothing can live. It's why we spend billions of dollars searching for water on Mars, wondering if there's another way that we could source some life sources through water on Mars. Everything that lives needs water to exist. It is the fundamental key source of all life, that water is so essential to everything that you do in your day. Did you know that you can go up to an entire month without eating, but you will only last three days without water? Think about the juxtaposition of that, that you can go up to 30 days without eating, but you can only go up to three days without drinking water. Water has an incredible impact on the human body. Over 75% of your body is made up of water. It helps you regulate your temperature. It helps your tissues to function and to move and to be malleable. It helps all of your organs stay functioning and living. It helps your immune system be strengthened. It carries the nutrients in your body and the oxygen throughout your entire body. It flushes out toxins. It dissolves the minerals and the nutrients in your body so that they are absorbable by the organs and the tissues in your body. It functions in helping your mood swings and depression be neutralized to a stable position and it help, And a lack of water will decline your cognitive function. Absolutely every part of your body is impacted by water. It is a fundamental source of life. It is a fundamental source for your body to stand and to thrive and to exist. And when we get here to this story in John, we see Jesus in all of his humanity needing in the same way that you and I need water. His body needs water to be sustained. He cannot go on without Water And Jesus is coming to this place and he sits down next to a well, thirsty and wanting water. Let's see what happens here in John 4. Here in John 4, it's interesting perhaps to note that John has just finished telling us the story of Nicodemus who is a wealthy man and a stable Jew and has all of the accolades that anyone would want. And he comes to Jesus asking, how do I become saved? And Jesus brings him in, but Jesus is getting ready to meet someone who is the absolute antithesis of who Nicodemus is, reminding us that Jesus is here for the high and for the lowly. He is here for the educated and the uneducated. He is here for the male and for the female. He is here for the religious and the irreligious, that Jesus came for absolutely everyone. And it starts out in John 4 and 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again 
for Galilee. And right here at the beginning, I want to just stop and notice that Jesus is moving from one place to another because the critics have come against him because he is doing the thing that he was sent into the world to do. He and his disciples are going around and they are baptizing. And while they are baptizing and while they are ushering people into the kingdom of God, there are those who are in a different camp. They are part of the camp of John. And they say, have you not noticed that Jesus is baptizing more? And they begin to criticize him. And because they begin to criticize him, Jesus moves from that place and heads to a different place. And what I want to submit that you can take from this text is that perhaps the criticism that you're facing right now is not to be taken harshly, is not to be taken as an indicator that you're failing, but is to be taken as an indicator that God is trying to get an impetus in your life that will move you from the current place that you are to the next place that he has for you. There was something that Jesus needed along the way. There was someone who needed Jesus along the way. And because the place where he was was not the place where that person was, there arose some criticism in the space to push Jesus from the place of criticism into the next place that God had for him. So the criticism that you're facing in your place of work, perhaps the criticism that you're facing from your extra family structure is not an indicator of what's going wrong, but an indicator of where God is trying to take you next, where the next place for your ministry is, where the next person who needs to hear from you is. Maybe it's not about where you came from, but it's about where he's trying to take you too. And if we could get our eyes off of what we came from, if we could get our eyes off of what the past was, if we could get our eyes off of the place that we had to leave and the job that we got cut from because of COVID cutbacks and the thing that we lost in the midst of it and the house that we always thought was going to be our forever home and the place that we thought was going to be our forever place. If we could get our eyes off of the place that we came from and onto the place that he's taking us to, there is probably something on that path for you. And so Jesus didn't look back to where he had came from. He didn't cry about those who had criticized him. Instead, he looked forward to where God was leading him next. And the place that God led him next was right into Samaria. It says, and then he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside that well, Jesus comes into the place of Samaria because he got his eyes off of where he had come from and started looking to where God was leading him. And when they arrived at Samaria, he sent his disciples to get food and Jesus waited there on his own. He waited there by himself, there in the town of Samaria. It's important to understand that Samaria means so much to the Jews. It means so much to the people who are hearing this message for the first time. It means so much to his disciples that they would walk through Samaria because the Jews and the Samaritans did not have an amicable past. The Jews and the Samaritans did not care for each other much, to put it very lightly. You can go and you can study the entire thwarted history, but essentially some of the Jews got left in Samaria during one of their splits. And when they got left in Samaria, they began to intermarry with other people groups besides the Jews. And they began to intermingle their faith as well as they began to intermarry. And so the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. They looked down on them. They had a great deep hatred and prejudice for this people that they considered themselves far better than. They would not associate with the Samaritans. They would not 
not mingle with the Samaritans. They would not speak to the Samaritans. They would not eat food prepared by the Samaritans. Some historians say that Jews would even intentionally take the longer route to go around Samaria just so they didn't have to walk through and let the dust of Samaria get on their feet. But Jesus walks straight through Samaria and sends his disciples into the middle of Samaria. And what I love that he does most is it says he sits down at Jacob's well. He sits down at a plot of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph when he passed his land down to him. And when Jacob passed the land down to Joseph, that is the place that Jesus comes. That is the place that Jesus, and maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but when I think about it, it reminds me of the fact that Jesus comes to the place to remind them this is what we have in common. Maybe we've lost touch of some things along the way. Maybe we have some differences. Maybe we disagree on some things. Maybe you guys worship on this mountain and we worship on that mountain. But let's come back to this well. Let's come back to this source of life that is in both of our lineages. Let's come back to this water spring. Let's come back to this place of one of our forefathers. Let's come back to this place of one of our patriarchs and remember that you and I, Samaritans and Jews, we both come from the same well. We were both sprouted from the same space. And I think God is encouraging his people once again to look and not say, can you find points of contention? Can you find points of disagreement? Can you find points to split hairs on? Can you talk about how you practice differently than the way that they practice? But he is calling his people to say, let's look and say, are we coming from the same well? Is the water of life that you're drinking out of the same water of life that I'm drinking out of? If we follow this heritage back, are we coming from the same place? Do we have the same Father God? Do we have the same Jesus as our Savior? Are there points that are the same that we can find? And so Jesus sits down in this place to remind them that at the end of the day, you and I are not as different as we like to pretend. At the end of the day, there is a lot that is the same about us. And then a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And this is the first glimpse that we have of what is getting ready to happen. The verse before told us that it was about noon. Your translation might say it was about the sixth hour, which would translate into noon. It was midday. It was the highest point in the day. It was the hottest point in the day. If you have studied Hebrew culture at the time, you would know that going to get water was generally a group activity for women. It was considered women's work, and they would go out as a group in the morning or in the evening. But this woman has come alone in the middle of the day to draw water by herself. And it is the first glimpse that we have of who this woman might be. It is the first moment where we wonder what Jesus probably was wondering, what is this woman doing here in the middle of the day by herself? When he saw her walking, I don't know what led to her loneliness, but she no doubt was lonely if she was not coming in the morning with all of the other women from town. There was safety in the group. That's why they came in a group. There was support in the group. That's why they came in a group. There was someone else to help you lift the water from the well. There is a deep well, and it is hard work to 
dip in and pull out the water, but she had no one else with her. She came by herself. I don't know why. I don't know if the other women ostracized her and told her you're not welcome to be part of our group. I don't know if she felt a bit embarrassed and shame about her life, and so she isolated herself from the group. What I know is she was there alone in the middle of the day, but when she came alone in the middle of the day, she ran in to Jesus. It says, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. It's always stood out to me that Jesus found himself alone. This woman found herself alone in isolation without the support of the community, but Jesus found himself alone because he intentionally sent his disciples away from him. Maybe he didn't know this woman was coming and he just recognized an opportunity to minister when it's came coming, but he is Jesus, the creator of heavens and earth in flesh. So I have a feeling he knew that she'd be coming out in the middle of the day. And for some reason, he sent his disciples away and Jesus waited by himself. Jesus often uses his disciples to do work. We heard in the previous chapter, that, uh, at the beginning of this chapter rather, that his disciples were the ones doing all of the baptizing, not Jesus. Jesus would send out his disciples into all of the earth. But what I want you to hear today is sometimes there is work that Jesus does all by himself simply because he's Jesus. So if you have that child that you haven't been able to get through to, and you have that family member who you've been trying to minister to, and you've been waiting for a disciple to come into their path, but no one seems to be able to get through to them, and no one seems to be able to speak to them, and there aren't arguments enough to convince them of the goodness of God, and there's not enough apologetics to describe to them how faithful and how true and how accurate his word is and his faithfulness is. If there is someone in your life that seems too far outside, even the disciples, I want you to know today, I want you to be encouraged today that Jesus can get to them wherever they are. And yes, he uses his disciples, but no, he doesn't need them. Sometimes he decides to do some work on his own. Sometimes he sits by a well waiting for that person to wander in, knowing that they have to come and get a drink of living water, knowing that no matter how far you are, maybe you're a prodigal and you find yourself in a pig pen digging, eating, and you're wondering where are the disciples? There are no disciples in this space, but there is a Holy Spirit. There is a Jesus that can walk into every single space that you find yourself, that can walk into every single place that your child has wandered, that can walk into every single room. There's not a crack room he can't get into. There's not a whorehouse that he can't get into. There's not a back road that he can't get into. There's not a slum he can't get into. There's not a foreign country he can't get into. There is no power on heaven or earth that can bind Jesus. And sometimes he uses his disciples, but sometimes he says, I'm just going to wait and I'm going to sit where you can find me and I'm going to sit where you can't avoid me because you've got to come and get this water at some point. And when you come to find this water, you're going to find me waiting on you. And when Jesus walks into the room, he's irresistible. When you have an encounter with Jesus, he's completely unhingeable. You can't move outside of him. You can't find yourself outside of him. But when you look on him, everything about yourself becomes clear. Everything about what you need becomes clear. Everything about who he is becomes clear and you can't help but turn to him. Sometimes Jesus just works all by himself. And so he asks for a drink of water from this Samaritan woman. 
And she responds to him in a very clear cultural way. And it says, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. As I already told you, the Jews found themselves believing they were far greater than the Samaritans. They thought themselves a superior group of people. They worshipped better. They lived better. They held the law better. Their bloodline was more pure than the Samaritans. They thought they were it. And the Samaritans lived in this place of knowing not only were they culturally less than the Jews, but actually the Jews believed that contact with a Samaritan would make them ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. That if they drank, some of the translations say, you know, that we can't use the same dish. That if they drank from the same dish that the Samaritan might use, that it would make them ceremonially unclean. So this woman responds very confused as Jesus is asking her for a drink from the well because he obviously has nothing of his own. So his intention is to use whatever she has to drink from this well. And so she responds to him and says, why would you do that? You know that I'm a Samaritan, and you know that drinking after me is going to make you ceremonially unclean. But she thinks she's just talking to some Jewish man. She doesn't know yet that she is talking to Jesus. And the thing that you have to know when you're talking to Jesus is that there is nothing that you can bring to Jesus that makes him unclean. Anything that touches Jesus, he makes clean. He makes pure. You can't make him unclean by what you bring to him. You can't make him unclean by what you submit to him. He makes it clean simply by the fact that he touches it, simply by the fact that he is the pure, holy, only God. And so Jesus just basically ignores what she says because he says, you don't even know who you're talking to. If you knew who you were talking to, you wouldn't even question whether or not I would be made unclean by touching you or by touching a dish that you've used. If you knew who you were talking to, you wouldn't even be questioning coming into the house of God because of decisions you've made over the last 12 months, like your presence could make him unclean. You wouldn't even be questioning your past and your history and the things that you have walked through as if bringing those things to Jesus might taint who he is or might tarnish his story or might tarnish his name. Bring them to Jesus and watch how he makes them clean. Bring them to the house and watch how he purifies every single thing that he touches. Stop holding on to your story for, for fear that it's going to hinder the name of our great God. It's the fact that he touched your story that makes it so powerful. It's the fact that he called you and he claimed you in spite of everything that you've done that makes him so good and so pure and so holy. Bring everything that you have to Jesus. You can't make him unclean because he is the living water. That's what he tells her, he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you wouldn't have even asked such a thing. I have water that will never end. I am the living water. When you bring it to him, he is the water that continually purifies your life, that continually makes you pure, that continually makes you whole, that continually makes you righteous and right before God. You cannot make him unclean by what you bring into him, bring to him. He makes you pure because of who he is. And so he completely ignores what the woman says. He just kind of moves on past it and says, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. 
And this is where John starts to do something really interesting. In, in literary form, there's this concept called dramatic irony. Dramatic irony is where the audience knows something that the characters in the story don't yet know. Sometimes we use it for comedic effect. Sometimes we use it to build suspense. Like if you're watching a scary movie and you know the bad guy is behind the door, but the character doesn't know the bad guy is behind the door yet. And so the closer they get to the door, the more stressed out, the more suspenseful you get, the more you start eating your popcorn because you know where they're going and they don't know where they're going yet. This is dramatic irony. And John uses the concept of dramatic irony as he recounts this story of when Jesus met this woman because you and I know where this story is going. You and I know who Jesus is, but she doesn't yet know who he is. And so Jesus tells her, you would have asked and he would have given you living water and you and I are reading it and you're like yes because he is the source of all life yes because he is the fountainhead yes because he is the stream in the midst of the desert yes because he is and she's just kind of like um uh that was weird but if you have this living water if you're sure about that where do you get it from because I come out here every day she says sir you have nothing to draw the water with and the well is deep where do you think you're getting this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And John's like, yes. But she's like, Jacob, Jacob's awesome. Are you greater than Jacob? And Jesus is like, yeah, I am greater than Jacob. But she doesn't know that yet. And he gave us this well to drink from for himself, as did his sons and all of the livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again and the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up oh he says I am the living water and when I give you the living water there's going to be living water inside of you that keeps turning that keeps springing that keeps welling up the living water that I have I can put it inside of you but she still doesn't get it because she doesn't have the perspective that you have she's just listening to this guy who keeps talking about getting water and he doesn't have anything even to get the water from and maybe that doesn't hit you all the way that it should hit you because you live in the area of turn, turning on the tap and getting water whenever you need it and you live in the era of commercialized water where you just go and spend 350 and pick up 24 bottles of water in a minute and you can just get this was a everyday meaningful part of her life it took up hours in her life everything she lived in the midst of the desert the well was everything she had to go to it every day. She structured her entire life around what it meant to get to the spring because it was the source of life. If you didn't get to the spring, you weren't living for very many days. If you didn't get out there to the well, nothing in your livestock would be fed that day or would be watered that day. Everything in her world revolved around this well. And here's this guy who seems to not even understand how the well works because he keeps talking about getting water out of the well, but he doesn't even have anything to bring water out of the well with her entire world was bound up in what it meant to get to the well. I wonder what it would mean if the people of God who have the living water would structure their entire lives around what it means to tap into the living well, to tap into the living water. If your entire day was structured around when is the next time I can get back to the well? When is the next time I can get some of the living water on the inside of me? If your entire world was around the fact that there is a source of life that is over there that I have to make sure that I stay plugged into. Everything in her life revolved around getting to this source of life. And Jesus is telling her, I have water 
that will never run dry. I have water that you don't have to work for and strive for in the way that you work for and strive for this water. I have living water. But she still doesn't get what he's talking about, and so she just keeps responding on a temporal level, and she says, sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or have to come and draw this water here any more. If you have ever been tired from the weight of your day, from the logistics of your life, this woman relates to the feeling you have. She was tired of going to the well every day. She was tired of waking up to get the chores done. She was tired of showing up to the job that she had. She was tired of cleaning it. She was tired of folding all of the clothes. She was tired of making the payment. She was tired of tracking the debt. She was tired of the place that she found herself in. But she ran into the living water. And then Jesus goes on to reveal himself to her, and we, we learn in the story why she was out there by herself, whether it was because the group had ostracized her or it was because she had isolated herself. She found herself out there all by herself because he says to her, go get your husband, and I'm going to tell you about this living water. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's right, you don't have a husband. You have had five husbands, and the one you're with right now He's not your husband. And she's like, yeah, that's true. That's me. Actually, what she says is, I perceive that you are a prophet, which is kind of a religious proper way of saying, yeah, you called me. That's my story. That's where I came from. That's why I told you if you drink from my dish, you might be unclean. That's why I wasn't sure if I could bring all of who I was to this place. And then Jesus begins to reveal to her exactly who he is. If you jump all the way in John 4 to verse 25, it says, And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. Don't miss it. This is the very first time recorded in the Gospels that Jesus reveals himself to someone as who he truly is. God in flesh, the Messiah come down, walking out his ministry, getting ready to redeem the sins of the world. Even his disciples don't know who he is yet. Even Nicodemus, with all of his religious and cultural accolades, didn't know who he was yet. Jesus reveals to this woman, I am he. I am the Messiah, and all of a sudden revelation stirs up on the inside of her, and all of a sudden she sees exactly what he was talking about when he said all of this about living water. He wasn't talking about a physical water that wouldn't run dry. He was talking about reviving her soul, reviving her spirits, pouring out his living water on the hurt and broken and longing places for her. For her to have had that many husbands in this cultural setting doesn't mean she just kept moving on from relationships. 
Women in this day weren't even allowed to advocate for divorce on their own. They had to be divorced by their husbands. And to be honest, it was cultural suicide because she couldn't work a job on her own. And she lost all societal standing if she didn't have a husband of her own. So something was going on. Either all of them had died and she had been a widower over and over and over again. Can you imagine the disappointment? Can you imagine the trauma? Can you imagine the pain of losing husband after husband after husband? Or she had been sent out by husband after husband after husband again and again to divorce. Can you imagine the rejection? Can you imagine the embarrassment? Can you imagine the shame? Whatever all of this woman was carrying in her life. And now she finds herself in a time where it is not a time when people simply cohabitate together because they haven't committed to the life that God has called them to. She finds herself in a time when it would have been absolutely shameable, absolutely on the outskirts of society, absolutely the lowest of the low, probably shacking up with somebody because she has no other choice, because she has no other access to finances except for to put herself in a compromising position. She finds herself carrying all of that weight, all of that shame, all of that embarrassment, all of that hurt, all of those years and years and years of the time that she lives in impacting her and impacting her and coming up against her heart and coming up against her soul and coming up against her spirit. She finds herself the least likely person that Jesus would ever speak to, much less reveal himself to. And yet there she is, the first one that he says, I am he. The Messiah you speak of, that's me. The Messiah you're longing for, that's me. The person your heart is crying out for, that's me. The living water that you need, that's me. And not only is she the first person ever to see him, she becomes woo, the first person ever tell anybody else about him. She turns around and becomes the first preacher of the New Testament, going into her city and declaring to everyone, come see a man who told me everything I needed to know about myself. I know you didn't want to talk to me. I know you forgot about me. I know you counted me out, but let me tell you about just who I just met. I met the source of living water. I met the source of life. I met a man who told me everything that you know about me, and he didn't turn me away, and he didn't shun me, and he didn't make me feel embarrassed, and he didn't tell me to stop telling my story. He said, that's fine. I'm the Messiah. Come and drink from this well. And all of a sudden she realized that Jesus is the source of all life. The source of life she'd been longing for, the source of life that she needed, the source of life that had been longing and stirring on the inside of her that she had looked for in all kinds of other places that she had sought after different men to fill in her life, the source. What are you longing for that you keep trying to fill with other things? What are you longing for that you keep looking to a relationship to fill in your life? That friendship is never going to do it for you. They're good and they're great, but they're never going to be able to fill the longing that's on the inside of you. That drug is never going to be able to do it for you because it is not a source of living like life. Your social media likes will never be able to do it for you. I don't care how famous your TikTok videos are. They will never fill the source of life that you are looking for. You need a living well. You need a living source. You need a 
thing that doesn't go dry? What happens when the lights dry up? What happens when the drugs dry up? What happens when your friend moves or when the relationship shifts? It dries up, but there is a source of living water. There is a source of all life. There is a source where you will never find yourself thirsting again. And Jesus reveals to her, I am the living water. I want you to turn quickly to John chapter 19. In John chapter 19, this is where we see the story of the crucifixion. John is recounting for us the horrific day when they nailed Jesus to a cross and when he hung there with his body losing life. And if you remember the story, they go and they break the legs of those on the right and on the left of him because they want to wrap this up. It's taking a little bit too long for those who have something else to do in their lives. And so they break the legs, but when they come to Jesus, they can't break his legs because he is un broken, even hanging on the cross, and he has already uttered the words, it is finished. And so to ensure that it is in fact over, they pierce his side, and something very strange happens. Verse 19 and 34, it says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood, that makes sense to me, I expect to see that, and water, and Water. What is that water doing coming out of his side? What is water doing flowing out of him even in his death? There is a picture here that John wants to make sure you don't lose, that that Jesus who sat by the well, he is the source of the living water. That even in his death, living water flows from him. Actually, especially in his death, living water flows through him because his death is the place that he ensures that that living water is gonna be available to you and to I for all of eternity. Have you ever thought about how odd it is that Jesus says it is finished, but there's three more days before the rest of it has to come? Have you ever thought? I've thought about it. I've thought like, it's not finished, Jesus. There's like... We've got like three more days in the story. What is this that you're saying here? But then I started thinking about, have you ever been watching like, um, I think basketball, really any sport, but I think basketball is the one where you see it most clearly. And all of a sudden, the, the, like the impetus of the game starts shifting and the momentum of the game goes in one team's direction and you're sitting there and they make a couple points and then you can tell, oh, they've got some energy now. They've got some fire under this now. And somebody that you're watching with says, oh, it's all over now. Yeah? When Jesus said, it is finished, he's saying, oh, it's all over now. There might be a couple more points, but the weight of this thing has tipped so far that you can't stop it now. The weight of this has rolled over so far that you can't stop it now. And the irony of it is that it's when he's hanging on a cross there, dying, breathing out his last breath. It's in the moment where the enemy is probably thinking, oh, the weight of this thing is rolling in my direction. Now Jesus said, no, 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 you totally missed the plot. I had to come here and hang and die. I had to come here. But what you don't know is that there is living water on the inside of me that even in my death living water comes out of me even in my death I am flowing a stream in the midst of the desert so when you 
kill me, when you crucify me, it's just the momentum tipping point that I've been waiting for. It's just the momentum tipping point that I came for. It's just the momentum tipping point that I've been longing for and that I was sent. I was sent here to die for this very moment. And when I breathe my last breath, it's all over because you can't stop it now. After I breathe my last breath, I'm going to go down to the gates of hell and I'm going to claim the keys back because I am living water. And then I'm going to come up and I'm going to raise on the third day, reminding you that death has no hold on me. I am going to remind you once again that I am the source of life. That when you heard about a river of water that was in the garden in Eden and it flowed out and it brought life to all, that was me. And when you heard about streams of water in the desert land, that was me. And every time you dug a well and you drank from it, that was me. And every time you come to the source of living water, that's still me. Oh, by the way, at the very end it says there's a river of water streaming from heaven out to all humanity. And the tree of life is living on every side of it, bringing life, bringing healing. That's him too. He is the stream of living water. He is the source of all life. He came to conquer death. He came to conquer sin. The enemy came to try and bring destruction. The enemy came to try and strangle. The enemy came to try and choke you out. The enemy came to try and kill you. But God came to bring life and he wrapped himself up in Jesus to do it. And so Jesus came and he revealed himself by this spring of natural water to say, let me give you a picture for just who I am. I am the living water. I am the well that won't run dry. I am the spring that never falters. I am the source that will always be here for eternity. Everything you need is found in me. He is the living water. He is the source even hanging on the cross. Water has to come out of him because he is the source of living water. So this is what we came here to do today, is to remember that he is the source of life, that his life-giving power is available to every believer, that his life-giving power is the power of every believer, and that the enemy wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And people of God, we need to stand on our watch. Over the last year, the homicide rate in our country has risen 25%. That translates to about 5,000 individuals. That means 5,000 individuals lost their life needlessly this last year. It means 5,000 families and friends were impacted by death that never should have been theirs. Suicide is the fourth leading cause of death in our nation. And it is the second highest cause of death in those ages 10 to 34. In the 25 to 30 age, 35 age bracket, over 8,000 people lost their life to suicide last year. We came to put notice that we have source of the living water that every spirit of death and destruction has been called on notice. We push it back 
in the name of Jesus. We push it back through the finished work of the power of the cross. In our city, we have seen a rise in deaths. We have seen a rise in shootings. We have seen a rise in homicides. And today we are saying no more. The people of God in this city are standing up. It's why we're gathering on Monday nights to all across our city declare that this will be a place of life that this will be a place where death can't stand. When the people of God lift up our prayers, lift up our cries, declare our authority in Christ, we create an atmosphere for life. We create a space where the power and the presence of God exists, where death becomes unthinkable in our area, where abortions become unthinkable in our area, where men and women who have been affected by abortions come and find recovery, that that life-sucking thing that tries to destroy you afterwards would be pushed back. We will not stand for it. We declare life in our community. We declare life in our city. We declare life in your household. We declare every power of the enemy. You have to back up. You have to back up in the name of Jesus. All the people of God, lift up a cry. Lift up a prayer. We're going to call on the name of heaven. God, we say that you are the source of all life. And we put our lives in alignment with you today. We declare life in this city. We declare healing over our community. We declare peace over our community. We speak to violence and say you have to put down your hands because Jesus reigns in this city. We partner with leaders all across our community and we declare life-giving power in our city in the powerful name of Jesus. We declare the suicide to back up in the name of Jesus. Get your hands off our minds. Get your hands off our bodies. Get your hands off our youth. Get your hands off our young people in the midst of their strongest years being told they have nothing to live for. You will live and not die. You will live and not die. You will live and not die in the name of Jesus. You have something to live for. You have some no relationship is worth that. No business is worth that. No degree is worth that. You will live in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, the people of God who believe it, let's lift up a shout and glorify his name. you to know. Paul tells us uh, in one of his letters to not let the enemy get a foothold. I'm not trying to throw stones, but the body of Christ has gotten distracted. And while we were distracted, fighting over divisions and fighting over online or in person or who's got more faith than somebody else, the enemy was gaining a foothold. The way we push him back is when everybody is in their place, lifting up the name of God. And we say, not in this space, not in this place. I want to encourage you to lean in to partnering with the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe just because somebody sits next to you at work, that bubble of that life-giving anointing is going to come out 
and they're not going to take their life simply because they've been in your proximity. And this is a life-giving zone everywhere around me. And this is a life-giving city everywhere that we go. I'm going to invite you out Monday night throughout this week if you can do it. But I want to encourage you to continue to pray, to partner with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a city of life. We are a people of life. We serve the source of all life. Amen. I do want to say, as I wrap up, in a very practical way, if you're struggling with thoughts of suicide, if you've struggled with thoughts of violence, of homicide, of harming others, if you have been considering an abortion or if you have been through an abortion, I want to encourage you to reach out to us. We have incredible programs that we want to partner with you with. We want to walk through that with you, through the soul healing and the real deep work that it takes to walk through something like this. If this is a house of life, it's also a shame-free zone. Amen, church? Amen. All right, church. I'm not exactly sure how to wrap this up. So what I'm going to tell you is... I want you to be here next Sunday for Resilient Sunday. We are going to be baptizing people in that water of living life. We are going to be talking about Jesus, who is the foundation of our whole faith. We are going to be leaning into the incredible vision that God has given us. I want you to have an awesome week this week, and I want you to know that you are walking in life. You are loved. You are cherished. You are awesome. You are capable. We'll talk to you real soon, church. Be blessed.